Welcome to episode 28 of OT Conversations That Matter, the podcast. My name is Justine Jecker, and I will be hosting today's second podcast conversation on occupational therapy and primary care teams with Rachel Deegan from Saskatchewan and Lisa Diamond Burchek from Manitoba. When putting together this two-part series, we wanted to intentionally connect occupational therapists across the country who are practicing in primary care so that others in the profession could learn about the diversity that this role brings. Our first episode explored clinical experiences with occupational therapists from Ontario and British Columbia. Today's episode focuses on Central Canada to continue painting the picture of what our profession looks like in this area of practice. Many notions of occupational therapists working in primary care are supported by the concepts of preventative health education, health promotion, systems navigation, holistic service delivery, and forward-thinking modalities that support clients to be the drivers of their own care. There is this idea that if we support the recovery and healing of individual health, health issues upstream, we can avoid the raging river downstream where the capacity and resources are finite. In my second career position as an occupational therapist, I was working in outpatient clinical settings, engaging in generalist practices that I would now consider to be primary care. In fact, what most education programs are already naturally teaching is the importance of developing the skill set of a primary care occupational therapist. Rachel Deegan is a full-time occupational therapist working at the Saskatoon Community Clinic, which is an interprofessional primary healthcare cooperative. She provides care to vulnerable populations, those with high care needs, and those living in the inner city with largely low income and experiencing health disparities. Rachel started her occupational therapy career working across various acute care units at Surrey Memorial Hospital, as well as the neurocritical care and inpatient rehabilitation at Lionsgate Hospital. Rachel is passionate about working with older adults who wish to age in place advocating for the role of occupational therapy in primary care throughout the province, and mentoring the next generation of occupational therapists as a preceptor and clinical instructor. Lisa diamond Burchuk is a senior instructor in the occupational therapy department at the University of Manitoba. She has worked with all ages in a wide variety of practice areas and clinical settings. Lisa has developed a passion for the role of OT in primary care, and wants to spread the word about all of the skills in the OT toolbox, which enable therapists to support individuals and communities. She has been the founder and chair of the Manitoba Occupational Therapy Primary Healthcare Community of Practice. Additionally, Lisa has served as a board member of the Canadian Association of Occupational Therapists for the past 10 years and is the incoming president of CAOT. Welcome to you both, Rachel and Lisa. Thank you for having us. Thanks. It's so wonderful to continue the conversation on primary care during OT month 2023. 
And we've learned from the first podcast episode on this that there are similarities and differences uh, between OTs uh, practicing across the country. We'd love to hear a little bit more from you. What does primary care look like in your day-to-day? Rachel, we'll start with you. Okay, so I feel like I head into work and um, I work a typical schedule, like Monday to Friday, 8 till 4. I start my day off usually by checking my emails, going through new consults that we get, um, messages. We always have lots of messages. And um, we usually take a look at our schedule for the day and uh, start looking at our patient files, seeing uh, what we need to prepare for, what we're walking into. And uh, we usually head off on home visits for the day. We typically average maybe two to three visits a day. And um, yeah, that's kind of what our week is. It's all, obviously we have some meetings scattered throughout and um, collaborating with other interprofessionals, but it's kind of, I I feel like kind of similar to what you would see like for like a community occupational therapist. Yeah, that is distinct when we think of our first episode where you've identified visits to the community. So that's, um, that is unique. And there is that overlap between the community and primary care OT. Yeah, and we do primarily community-based work, but um, there's no reason why we can't do in-clinic work as well. Um, We might see clients um, in our office or um, at the other clinic at uh, Westside and um, meet them there if it makes more sense. Maybe they have a meeting with the doctor or the physio or the dietitian, and um, it just makes more sense for us to tag along after that. And then um, if it involves going to their home later because we've identified some issue in the home, um, then we make that happen. Wonderful. And how about for you, Lisa? Yeah, it's interesting because, again, it's that typical... um, OT response, our favorite answer, it depends, right? Because um, I think every set, every site here is different. Um, It's interesting to hear, you know, Rachel, you're talking about you mostly do home visits. And I know in the clinic where I practice, it's it's been more, probably more in office visits and then a few home visits a week, home assessments. Um, And also a lot of groups. Typically, there's usually at least one group going at a time, but I would definitely say that every OT in primary care in Manitoba would describe their day-to-day practice as being different, and I think um, that really highlights um, the, the that idea of how we need to base what our, our day-to-day looks like or what our role is based on what the clinic needs are. Um, And even that in Manitoba, the way primary care works is for OTs, some of us are serving a geographical area, and then some of us are serving a primary care practice team. So it depends on the attachment rate. It varies so much. And the reason I think that's significant is then it depends on the team in the clinic, right? And so like one of my favorite things that we've used a lot here in Manitoba is um, Pam Winner's a model of the it's the interprofessional collaborative relationship building model and it's about how to create those teams 
And we've really hung our hats on that, on the idea that somebody's the docs or the teams, or the nurse practitioners are looking for help and our job is to fit in. Like whatever their needs are, that's where we can fit in. And that's what's so amazing about us and what they're starting to realize about us in primary care is that we can fit in to whatever their needs were, right? And so if my team doesn't have a social worker, like it didn't when we started out, we were doing a lot of helping figure out those social determinants of health and financial and accessing you know, financial resources. But then once we got the social worker, our team, our role changed again, right? Then we, then we couldn't, we didn't have to do that as much. But then some teams have a mental health counselor and some don't. So some OTs are doing, of us are doing so much mental health counseling and some of us aren't doing any at all. We're out going out doing aging in place, home visits, right? So I just think it's so neat that, that every day, like everybody's day looks completely different based on what it should be based on, which is what are the needs of the clinic and the clients, right? That was a long answer. <laughs> no, it's incredible, Lisa. I love the way you described that kind of, that that morphing of the role that takes place depending on the makeup of the interprofessional team. And I want to go a little bit further in that, like thinking, is there is there kind of a bare minimum Right. You know, when we think of the interprofessional makeup and we know that there's dozens of healthcare providers out there, in your experiences, what is maybe not interprofessional enough or where can it maybe be a bit too much and, and hard to engage in your role? I don't know if, uh, Rachel, you've experienced a time where where you felt, OK, we, we don't have enough on our team to support this client or, you know, there's too many chefs in the kitchen. I would never say there's too many chefs in the kitchen. Like for where I work at the community clinic, we have doctors, nurse practitioners, um, nutrition, physio, um, pharmacy. We have a whole um, diverse team that works together. And um, it's usually that point of contact that someone might have and be like, oh, like this person you know, is having a hard time getting around the clinic and, or there's issues with their wheelchair. And I really think OT would be really helpful and we might get that referral to follow up with them. And I think every option or every opportunity for a point of contact just creates uh, that chance that we might be able to be involved. And I feel like while the providers like the NPs or the physicians are like the kind of the person who holds that file, we all might have really solid relationships with that client and kind of be that client's go-to person when something's wrong and they need help navigating um, whatever's going on and connecting with the right people. Um, sometimes I feel like a case manager when that happens and I know I'm not, but it, we can very much put on that hat and take on that role if it makes sense for that client because we have that relationship. And um, I would say we have lots of opportunities to join together and maybe meet someone in clinic or um, go to their home together. I mean, I've taken physicians to clients' homes and um, physios and um, nutrition. So it just really depends on what the situation is. I feel like whenever I need someone, it's very easy for me to make contact with that other professional and loop them in and help help give the client what they need. 
I agree. There's there there really can never be too many. And if if anything, it helps our profession grow when there are more team members because then we two things happen. One is we need to sit down and negotiate because absolutely there's overlapping competencies right within the team members, and so and that's where we get to say okay, mm -hmm. so then where's the gap, right? To make sure that we're not overlapping. Instead, where can we grow? So like an example is we have um, what's called a shared care counselor in Manitoba, which is, you know, a, a mental health therapist. I won't go into the details. And um, and so we looked at how do we complement each other, right? And so she's really focusing on in clinic talk therapy, so to speak, psychotherapy. And, that, and so then we said, okay, and we'll do teaching coping skills and running groups where we teach the coping skills and those, right? So we we figure out how to work together. And that has been important though, because I think you raise an important point, Justine, because then we need to get, give that information back to the team who are making the referrals, right? They want to know who they're referring to. Although it's a good point Rachel makes, like if, if they refer to me and I think, oh, that's more appropriate for physio, then we, then we just reach across the aisle and <laughs> collaborate with our physio counterpart, right? So, um, and sometimes the physio will say, well, you're already going in. Why don't you just tell me what the issue is and I'll make a suggestion for you, right? So it really is a great back and forth. And in terms of minimal team members, I, I even that, I don't know if it's such an issue because that's another huge part of our role, which is reaching out and making connections and making referrals, right? So if we don't, if we need access to a professional that's not on the team, then that's what we do. Then we figure out, okay, how do I access, how do I access that professional for this individual outside of our team then, right? I love this level of collaboration. I want to bring us back in time for a minute. Um, back in between 2012 and 2019, I taught at the Northern Ontario School of Medicine, specifically in interprofessional education. And it's so interesting. During that time, we were using the 2010 CIHT framework, uh, the Canadian Interprofessional Health Collaborative Framework. And it, really, it's interesting in your bio, um, Lisa, you acknowledge this this idea of the toolbox. And that was really the beacon for me to kind of get the students to be interested in learning about other professions because you can't just show up and only have a hammer to, to build a house. And we'd often use that analogy of the toolbox. And, you know, every toolbox you have is going to be different on every team you're with. And I just feel it's it's really interesting to see where we've come in the past 10 years with that idea of the toolbox. Um, do you, I guess, to build on that a little bit more, do you, do you typically find it is the role of the OT to know what everybody does and to try and fit in? Or do others also play that role where they're the they're they're trying to fit in as well? I mean, I, I'm curious to know, Rachel. <laughs> yeah, so. Saskatchewan is unique because we don't have an occupational therapy program here. Um, you know, we do have seats in Alberta and I think Manitoba as well. But um, I find coming from BC, a lot of uh, the health team really knew what OT was. And because you, you go to school, you are required to do uh, like interprofessional classes together and you get to explain your role. And often people are like, oh, well, what is OT? 
And so that's just always a perfect opportunity to explain. And I find when I, I came to Saskatchewan, um, and it's no fault of anyone's, it's just the system that we're in, I find I'm often explaining my role. Unless someone has had lots of experience working with an OT, it's a lot of education and trying to explain what it is that I do. So I get those referrals and I can kind of show what I can do on the team. So I feel like I'm, I'm often the one trying to show people that. And yeah. for you, Lisa? <laughs> yeah, it's, I am, um, I, as, as Rachel pointed out in Manitoba, we have a program. So more of the people have experience working with OT in their programs, but again, it tends to be very, very specific. And so they tend to have preconceived ideas. So often they'll say, oh, I thought OT just did mental health groups. And someone else will say, oh, I thought OT just did splinting, right? So it is still about, that is still a piece and and i would agree that everyone else on the team seems to know their roles and where they fit in but they're not as clear on where what our role is and where we fit in and they're always very pleasantly surprised <laughs> to hear about what we can do and it's interesting what rachel what you said really that also um, is part of Pam Winner's model, which is then, so she goes from meeting the need or fitting in, and what the result of that is growing reciprocity, which is where, so now the team says things like, well, I don't know who can help with this. Well, why don't we ask the OT? Because they, they helped with that other problem we had, right? They seem to be really good at this functional stuff. Why don't we ask the OT? And so they, they seek us out once we have done what Rachel said, which is demonstrate to them what we can do and how we can help instead of telling them what our role should be. Yeah, and the vision document for primary care is basically saying what we already know. Like you're, you can look at occupations so clearly in the primary care setting, and that's probably what allows for a, the OT to morph into these different roles is depending on the pressing occupational needs, the longer term occupational needs, um, the ones that have not even been considered, the occupational opportunities. And we heard a little bit in our first episode on primary care, this idea that it could be a one point visit, but usually not. That you, you, you build this relationship over time with the client as they get to know you, your skill set, where you're capable of. Um, and, and they will come back over time because, you know, usually I think in most primary care models, the clients are there to stay unless they move away or uh, if there's an external factor. But otherwise, you have access to that relationship for, you know, an, an indefinite period yeah. of time. So that's, um, that's actually one of my favorite things is when <laughs> someone just appears in my schedule and I they're <laughs> like they reached out and made an appointment with me because something has come up for them. And they remembered, right, that whatever it was, we worked with them a year ago or two years ago, but they remembered and they're seeking us out. Like, that's the best. Mm -hmm. Now, another thought I want to bring you both to is, um, so in the vision uh, for primary care document, it talks about the idea that health promotion is a perspective, not necessarily the, a role, a specific role, because we often look at you know, which providers focus on health promotion. I'm wondering how you experience the concept of health promotion or your perspective in your day-to-day. Rachel, you want to start? <laughs> Lisa can start. 
Give it to oh, Lisa. Okay. <laughs> sure. Okay. So, um, yeah, I think I, it's an interesting point, right? Because it just feels like primary care in primary care, it's that holistic approach, right? Which is basically like, if we look at, right, the, the, in the model, the, the textbooks, sorry, I'm drawing a blank, <laughs> the promoting occupational participation, right? That's like it just that's it that's what we're doing right we're promoting occupational participation whatever that takes and whatever that might look like for someone and so that idea of health promotion is just a part of that makes sense to me right and in terms of all of the pieces that we do i think ot is always doing like you say right health promotion is always part of every ot's role because you're never just treating the presenting problem you're also then talking about how someone can can move forward participate moving forward i don't know if i'm answering the question exactly um does that does that make sense it does and it is a big concept right like health promotion mm -hmm. it, it it's at all levels from macro systems level to kind yeah. of that momentary interaction you're having with the individual and um yeah, and I do think it's not easy to necessarily necessarily nail down, but I think taking a holistic approach allows you to think of the forward thinking, the needs of the person in the here and now, and also where they're going and how to prevent, mm -hmm. you know, uh, further Ill illness or injury or disease. Yeah, I feel like, yeah, that's why I was just so, Take I didn't in. know what to say yeah. in the beginning because I'm like, oh, it's like, it, it's just trying to explain to people what we do. And it, we just do it and we don't always think about it. And it's like, oh, I got to stop and actually explain this. And, you know, I could go meet my client and maybe follow them for falls because they've had a couple. But, you know, I find myself talking about, you know, good nutrition and good sleep and, you know, um, uh, the importance of getting out and being active still. And it's just, you know, that that's all health promotion. It's just kind of hard to coin it. Um, I never see like referrals strictly, oh, for, you know, uh, promoting health as my referral, but it's everything that I do. Absolutely. And in your case, Rachel, there was an OT in your position for a very long time, for 30, 30 years in that position um, in primary care. And I, I want to go down that road a little bit because I think there's this idea that primary care is new, relatively new at, for our profession in occupational therapy, which there yeah. is a longstanding history. And um, in the Donnelly et al. Uh, article 2022 acknowledges that Canadian uh, OTs are leading in primary care, even though the, the research and the literature is still being developed. Um, but I want you to speak a little bit to that experience of the OT who was there before you in terms of, you know, yeah, what did that look like in at the Saskatoon Clinic? Yeah, so um, with our clinic, it's been around since 1962. So quite a while, some of the um, founders played a pretty historic role in um, the development of Medicare. And I, I don't think OT was there in the very onset. Um, I think he came around a little bit later on um, when Allied Health started to kind of be a part of the clinic. And uh, Brenda Goosen was there for a, a while, like quite a while, like we said, 30 years at least. And um, again, she did a lot of uh, home visits, but she also focused on a lot of groups. And, you know, unfortunately with COVID, um, a lot of the groups were on pause. 
And when she retired and I took over it, you know, I didn't totally know where I fit in and I was trying to really just learn the role. And, um, now that we have a second occupational therapist that's working with us, I felt like, okay, we can get back into groups now because I, I felt like I had to just focus on the basics and trying to help people who are falling or are getting out of hospital or have skin integrity issues or who are palliative. And now I feel like I have more time, not just to help my clients with those things, but maybe to get into that health promotion role as well. So we just started a new um, group at the Westside Clinic where we're focusing on like leisurely um, occupations and pursuits, because I find that we're often focusing on, you know, food and uh, housing and, you know, uh, getting around the community. And I'm like, where's the fun? There's no fun. Yeah. And, um, so now we're doing um, arts and recreation um, and we're just picking once a month different activities that uh, would be fun, engaging and social and uh, getting people doing something a little bit different. And that's just the beginning. We just wanted to see what that was like. And now we want to continue down that road of holding more groups and, you know, groups come and go. I find it really just depends on the needs of the, our clients. And, you know, I know there's lots of falls prevention clinics out there, but that's another area my colleague and I have really thought about because I'd say a lot of our referrals are for falls and um, you know, it, it's not surprising with our aging population. So um yeah, I think it's it's always changing and that's good. We just adapt to what the needs are. Great to see that evolution. Yeah. It's great to see mm -hmm. that evolution. Go ahead, Lisa. Oh, I just going to say, yeah, I think that the difference, like what's newer is more about the the fee, the fee for structure, right? The fee structure and the systems model and that it's similar here in Manitoba, right? We've had OTs on healthy aging resource teams and on the HIV clinic team, we've had OTs in primary health care. It's just that the in the fee for service model of primary care provider delivery was where we didn't fit in because there was no way to bill our to bill for OT services if we weren't paid a salary as part of a clinic. Right. And so that's what we're seeing is new. And even if you look at Donna Leadell's definition of primary care that they're using which is in a like in a doctor's office model idea that's the part that that's newer I think is where now the doc the, the these private the basically they're private practitioners right family docs in Manitoba right they they're they're fee for service and so they're being they're bringing choosing to bring OTs into their team because they're being given incentive funding by the government in order to bring the OTs in. And what's, but what's really nice is that they're being, being given the choice. Who, what, if we give you money, what do you wanna do with it? And so they're choosing to bring OTs onto their team or they're choosing, well, we want a chronic disease manager and we want that to be an OT. So that's what's so amazing about how we've really proven our worth and our value, I think. Thank you for the candid, being so candid, Lisa, in that, because I do, it, it is an undertone when we talk about primary healthcare teams, and I do love in the vision document, um, you, you see that um, 
the the camaraderie and kind of the co- the true collegiality of physicians and and OTs becoming more partners and we see that with the support of the model from the College of Family Physicians of Canada in looking at it's called the um, patient's medical home and it, it's it's this kind of model and ter- that's supportive of primary care but I would say that, you know, in my almost 15 years of practice, that's probably the biggest shift that I've seen, right? There was always the sense of being under the doctor as a healthcare provider, even the term allied health, which, you know, is, is becoming a very uh, non-politically correct term anymore. And, and really focusing on this idea that we are all a team. We all bring a very uh, unique and specialized skill set. And for occupational therapists, that's our focus on occupation. And um, it, it's, yeah, learning more about those funding models, I think is crucial because that's that's what opens the door to more positions, uh, more opportunities. Um, and actually on the note of opportunities, I wanted to dive a little bit into the idea of supporting Indigenous populations in Central Canada in primary care. Um, do either of you have experience in terms of the models you're using and how that's supporting uh, First Nations, Métis or Inuit communities? Yeah, well, I can speak to that for sure, because the clinic that um, it's called Northern Connections Medical Center, um, and that term Northern <laughs> is in there, the clinic that I worked in, um, because the primary role of the clinic is to provide support, um, a primary care home to people who are in this down from the north, living in the city for whatever reason. And it's actually very closely connected to our northern medical team, the physicians that in the clinic actually go and spend time up north in the communities, although the OTs aren't doing that yet. Um, And so it's, I would say, a very large focus of our entire clinic is is to support Indigenous communities and individuals and groups. Um, And so that's what's really nice about that is the whole team is on board, right? The whole, the climate of the team. And what's nice then is that then we're given, we're given support for not, we're not ever pushed to do the traditional colonial westernized practice. That comes probably like that's always in hovering in the background, right? Like the Winnipeg Regional Health Authority worrying about our stats and our how many patients are being seen and all of that. But the clinic, we as a team are passionate about saying, we're going to spend as much time as we need to with this individual to give them the supports they need and we're going to do whatever it takes. Um, and so that and not asking us for standardized assessments and that kind of piece so that's been really nice and just recognizing the importance of um of of valuing giving people a voice right not telling people this is what you need and this is what we can do for you and just but just saying what do you need and how can i help Yeah, there's a lot of, I think, a lot to learn um, as a collective across the country about how we can do that better, Lisa. And I'm really grateful you shared that example from your clinic, because I think that conversation when it comes to primary care in northern communities, it needs to continue. Um, Generalism is alive, but it's it's really struggling uh, with um, very few OTs that work in rural and remote areas as generalists, and especially in northern communities. Um, and, and I think there's a lot to be learned with primary care in the north. And I, th- I actually feel that if we can do it well in the north, 
We can do it well anywhere. If we can do it well with indigenous communities, we can do it well anywhere because those are universal principles. And it's truly what you said, it's it's getting to the core of collaboration and truly understanding where communities are coming from. So we're at that point in the podcast. I want to pose um, one final question to you both where, so there, there's kind of these seven recommendations that were given by um, the, the vision document for primary care. And I'm not, they're lengthy. You can go to the report and read them, but I just want to paraphrase a couple of them. And maybe you can speak to one or two of them that are resonating with you in terms of, you know, you see this happening, or perhaps we could be putting more energy into this. So some of the uh, suggestions are that, you know, we have to ensure access to occupational therapy and primary care. So first and foremost, making access available, that it needs to be equitable access. So not just specific populations, but that potentially any Canadian could access care that it is allowing OTs and supporting OTs to work to their full scope of practice, that we need to continue to build evidence because right now we are relying predominantly on expert opinion, um, that we need to reinforce our unique contributions uh, to the team and also to the healthcare system, and that we need to educate students and other therapists on the role of primary care. And so, you know, in those suggestions that are given, I'm wondering, what are you feeling in your roles? What's the one you're hanging on to as this is this is really what's going to move things forward? And Rachel, maybe we'll start with you. <laughs> yeah, access is the one that stood out to me because. Um, <clears throat> so for someone to access my services, you have to be a clinic client. And so, you know, that means you have to have a family doctor or a nurse practitioner who's taking you on, you can't just access my services. Um, otherwise, you'd have to go through the health authority through community services if you need an occupational therapist in the community, or um, you'd have to be referred to some specialized OT. But um, I feel like, you know, not everyone can even get a family doctor. And even then, if you do get one, do they have an occupational therapist on the team? Chances are no. So I feel like, you know, if we want to access more specialized occupational therapy services and, you know, OTs that can go in and do that primary care and health promotion, I feel like we need more teams and clinics like ours. So are you saying, Rachel, we need to send this podcast to the College of Family Physicians of Canada? <laughs> <laughs> Maybe, yes. I think we can do that. I think we can send an email. <laughs> and what's quite different about our clinic is we're funded by the Ministry of Health. And we're meant to be a cooperative. We are, a, you know, a member. Oh, there's a word here. <laughs> Let me get this right so we edit this properly. It is, um, I always say it wrong. Uh, member driven and board directed. So it's based on what, you know, some prominent members of in the community think that we need to strive towards. And um, it's not just physician directed and run. We are a team. Well, okay. So since I'm glad that Rachel, that you spoke about access, because that I agree is 100% number one. Um, but then because you spoke to that from a clinical lens, I'll put on my university lens. <laughs> um, 
and just speak to, although I will speak to that idea of access and, and you, uh, you joked, Justine, about sending the podcast <laughs> where to send it, but we really have found that um, I want to, I want to thank all the OT students in Manitoba who have done primary care field work because, man, do we use them because that's how we demonstrate the value, right? We bring in students, they expand our resources, they create groups, or they go into a clinic that's never had an OT before and with support, right? And they demonstrate the value of OT. And I and that's how one of the primary ways we and then word of, word of mouth gets around. Like one doctor from one clinic tells another doctor from another clinic, well, this OT, these OT students did this great stuff. And so then when they have the opportunity, they advocate for, we want it, we want an OT too. In fact, that was the best. Sometimes we heard those conversations, like clinics complaining, well, how come we want an OT? How come they get an OT? How do we get an OT, right? So I think that's really, really important. But my other university lens um, in the part that it speaks to me about was um, two things. One was the the evidence, which that's an ongoing, I the challenge of that, right? Because like we're not going to get, in fact, my colleague Kara Brown was in the clinic with me and, and trying to pull data out of the electronic medical record, like quantitative data is just impossible, right? It's just we're, we're not practicing in primary care in a way that lends itself well to quantitative evidence, right? So then we're relying on Donnelly and her crew for the amazing work they do, which is pulling together our qualitative research and evidence and right, pulling all of those pieces together and to document what we're achieving and what we're doing, to, right? Because we're like we just talked about with working with Indigenous communities, I don't want to be doing assessments and tools, right? That are gonna pull in quantitative data. I don't wanna be doing that to communities anymore. We've done that enough in our profession and like being complicit, right? With that whole Western healthcare lens, we're not doing that. So we have to figure out how do we demonstrate that? So like, for an example, it, we, we instead of having, you know, the sickness impact profile, which is like a 10-page questionnaire that someone could fill in before and after attending our group to prove that our group on chronic pain management was helpful, instead we ask one question, 10-point scale, before today's group, how confident did you feel in using this coping skill? And after today's group, how confident do you feel in using it, right? Like the COPM is actually probably that Likert scale is probably the only thing that works for us. And so, and, and we're not, we don't want to revert back to those old ways. So that's a huge challenge. But, and then the other piece is just curriculum. Like we, we equip the students, we talked about that toolbox you mentioned, Justine, we equip the students with all the tools, motivational interviewing, coping skills, um, equipment, prescription, wheelchair prescription, right? We equip them with all the tools. And so what we're getting better at now in the schools is teaching. And now let's, you, let's think about how you can use all those tools to work in primary care and what that might look like so that students are going out there with either fieldwork experience or at least a thinking, you know, a way of thinking about how they can work as a generalist in primary care and pull together all those things they learned in school. That's a powerful way to end the podcast, Lisa. <laughs> and 
I'm in complete agreement. Less is more. Um, we, we've done a great job over, I think, in healthcare in general, collecting a lot of information that we don't use um, or that's not meaningful and getting right to the core of what do we actually want to know and how is this going to help move us in the direction we want to go in? I love that example. One question following the group, did this did this help you with the following, right? Um, yes or no? Where would you put it on that scale? So I think I think there's a lot to learn, but acknowledging that metrics will help get us there. It will help move the role of primary care OT and, and its understanding in Canada forward. Uh, I, I really want to thank you both for coming on and representing Manitoba and Saskatchewan. We know in these two podcast episodes that your four voices are four voices in primary care and that this is a very vast field with a lot of knowledge, a lot of expertise, OTs. Um, filling in many roles in different teams and also uh, doing many different things. And so um, thank you for helping our audience and other OTs learn more about your role. And in case people want to reach out to you, what is the best way, Rachel, for someone to contact you? Um, email. And I think you have access to my email. We so will put that out with the podcast. Yeah, and Lisa, how about, how about for you, Lisa? Yeah. Email as well. Okay, wonderful. Well, thank you both for your time today and we'll be in touch. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you.